Welcome, you're listening to the Agile Unemployment Podcast, where in each episode, we take an in-depth look at being out of work. We'll talk about the programs and benefits available to you. We'll talk about the job hunting process itself. And most importantly, we're going to address the psychological and emotional impact that being out of work has on the individual. I'm your host, Sabina Sulat. I'm an HR expert and author. A few years ago, I lost my dream job and found myself unemployed for the first time in my life. I was frustrated by the lack of resources and information available to people out of work. But more than that, I was just stunned by the fact that we don't talk about unemployment. I took my experience and I turned it into a book and I now coach people to build resilience while they're out of work. If you are out of work, if you recently lost your job, or maybe you've been unemployed for a while, or maybe you're just afraid that you might lose your current job, this is the place to be. We're a safe place where we can talk about all aspects of being out of work. We can answer your questions and we can help you build resilience so that when you go back to work, you are stronger and more confident than ever. So let's get started. Hey, everybody. It's Sabina. Thank you for joining me for the podcast. I am so excited for today's guest. And those of you who have written to me and said, you always say you're excited about the guest. It's my podcast and I get to bring in whoever I want. Today, I am extremely happy and honored to bring in my friend, Philip Mianko. And Philip, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. You should Yay. be excited. Good. We're both there on board. For anyone listening, full disclosure, as you probably know, I usually have my friends on my show, which is great because I have some very talented and great friends. Philip has an amazing background and his appearance today comes from a conversation we recently had. What I love is that Philip is on this mission to change the way the world thinks about and does work. Sounds familiar. And the whole idea is to help people thrive in the workplace. And this came to him honestly. Growing up, he got his start in a family landfill business. And then when they sold that and he went into his own career, he spent a lot of time in human resources and recruiting, mainly in manufacturing and tech spaces. And that helped Philip get that interest for finding out how people could find meaningful careers. This led to him to become a career coach and to look at honing his own coaching and leadership skills at an organization called Happen to Your Career. I love that name so much. Philip has this extensive knowledge about career development. Most of my friends are super into development like me. I think that's a common friend activity for us. I think Philip takes it to the next level. And he practices what he preaches, where he's refining his coaching practice to be very one-on-one, future-driven with mainly executive coaching clients, but anybody that is lucky enough to be coached by him. It is, of course, called the Bianco Method. And that's also the name of his self-branded organization. He's dedicated to coaching leaders and individuals to hold space for and engage in better career conversations and also to help companies understand the importance of modern career development plans. How was that for an intro? Mm, That was really good. I think, yeah, that was really good. I appreciate it. It's the, 
Happy Recruiter is a great uh, name of the company. And I like being included in, in Sabina's friends of, of development people. Right on. I think you and I both knocked it out of the park in our network development. Mm. I look at both of our networks and we share multiple people in our networks and we did a really good job. (laughs) (laughs) I just, for me, but I think of any of your listeners, the way I always think about it. And if you've met me, I say this thing of I'm on this, on this journey of finding new best friends and anybody that I find where you just, you see their stuff and you like their stuff and you like their content. And you're just like, Oh, that person seems like my new best friend. And that's legit how I think about it because we're all out here in this world and life and you put out stuff and you put out content. You don't know if anybody's going to like it. You see the Mm -hmm. likes and you see the comments under things, but when you actually get to connect with people and then get to talk about them and then they get to talk about you and then you get to talk about other things. Like before we hit record, we're just talking about food allergies and we're talking about travel and then we're talking about college. (laughs) You know, and that's what that's what all of our conversations are always like. They just go wherever, wherever they want to go. But I think it's just that the network and the connection that you get just from having conversations with people. It's just awesome. So excited for our talk today. Yeah. And I think you're right, though. It's the when you read someone's content and it resonates with you, your first thought is, I want to know this person more. I've never been disappointed by meeting someone whose writing spoke to me, whose book spoke to me, which is mm-hmm. great because that could be devastating. I don't know what that feels like. I'm glad I don't. But I think you're right. You learn so much about a person by what they post, what they put out there. And part of our conversation for anyone listening before we hit record was we were talking about the impact AI might have on content. And we're both firmly in the camp of you can't fake being human. So then our careers are in trouble. We're we're all in trouble at that point. We'll just keep riding that train till we get there. There we go. This, This guest spot, this conversation came because in our semi professional, semi social networking conversation, we had a day last week where one of the things Philip does is he co leads a job search group that's part of the learning collective learning group that I mention all the time. And Philip's a part of that too. Mm-hmm. And we were both in the session and then we had a catch up session later that afternoon and very boldly Philip's like, yeah, I didn't agree with what you said there. And I think that's the sign of friendship when someone can openly say, I don't agree with you. And we talked it out. But what was it you were, what was it you did not agree with me on? Do you remember? Yeah, it's this idea. Cause I, I asked a question, I posed this question in the group about applying for jobs. And a lot of the questions that I get as a coach, and a lot of the questions I often see are, hey, after I apply, like how should I stand out? And more specifically, should I reach out to the hiring manager um, after I apply? And my answer is, Yes, I think you should. The little bit of the consensus in the group at the time was no, which is very understandable for many reasons, because it's often, are you finding the right person? And then are you, and then if you do find the right person, there's a high likelihood that's the wrong person that you, and then you sent the message to, then you spent all this time writing a pretty good to really good message, ultimately to the wrong person. And then no one wants another email in their inbox blah, 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 all those kinds of things. And yes, I agree with the sentiment on that 
but on a high level part of us talking today was really like how how do you stand out in this in your job search but in a way what i always argue is how do you play the game differently than everybody else and where i boldly disagreed was like look I know it can give off the feeling of stalkerish of finding the right person and then finding their email. And that what if you're listening to this right now in the back of your head, that's probably what you're thinking of. Okay, wait, he wants me to find the person and then email them directly and then go and do all these things. That just feels like I'm being a creep and being a stalker. And I'd say, sure, depends on how you go about it. But on the on again, on the high level, I'd argue if we play by the same game that everybody else does, then we're gonna lose the same way that everybody else does mm -hmm. and i advocate let's play a whole different game let's yeah. and, and i don't mean to be cliche here but i say let's find different ways for you to be you and what i'll even coach my clients on is all right how can we try things differently than most other people do can mm -hmm. we send a direct message can we email them directly can we i often will use a tool called loom like l-o-m to record a video message and send something super personalized. Again, your alarm bells might be going off in the back of your head going, yep, yeah, no, this is definitely creeper status. This guy is telling me to send a random video to a random person because they're going to click on a random link and they're going to think it's like a virus or something like that. Sure, fine. But again, I, this comes back to this of everyone's doing the same things. We all know that we have to apply for jobs. We all know that we have to follow up with the, with the hiring managers. We all know this. Like it's the same things happening again and again. And then everyone's going to get the idea of what we need to do. And it's going to change again in the next two years. And then again, yeah. in the next three years. But it goes back to this thing that, but why we're, again, why we're trying to today, it, it's just the human connection. Just treat people like humans and come at them in a genuine and nice way. And I think that's where I was boldly disagreeing of, hey, stand out from everybody else and treat another human being like a human being, but do it in a way that is is in line with you. Yeah. And that's a lot that you gave us. And let's unpack that because mm. the discussion after the discussion, the just you and I discussion, we did have a lot of middle ground with that because I didn't disagree with you. I think if you have that recruiter name on LinkedIn or the job board or something like that, then yes, I think you should reach out to them directly because they are inviting you to do so by, mm -hmm. you'll see it all the time now on LinkedIn. It's so-and-so has a job at Google and you, yeah, I'm going to reach out to you because like you said, I want to be that person who hits your mind differently. But I, one thing you're saying that's resonating with me is you're still going to be you. It sounds to me like there's this, it sounds a little overwhelming and complex and definitely contradictory of this there's certain things you have to do in the job search, and I think we'll hit on those. But then there are ways to thin it, to stand out, but correct me if I'm wrong, but it only works if you are staying authentic to yourself. Am I mm -hmm. getting that equation pretty right? Or A hundred percent. I put a LinkedIn post out about this today, and I had a client win last week. And I think it was actually, it was after me and you talked, and... It was this client who every time she logs into LinkedIn, and I'm sure you feel like this. I don't know. We've, we mean you talked about this in other discussions. Every time she logs into LinkedIn, she's overwhelmed by this bombardment of do this, do that, great content, mm -hmm. like this thing over here. And it gets to the point where she just freezes 
and mm. she can't do anything else. And I was telling her at the time, don't focus on LinkedIn at all. How have you found jobs in the past? Yeah. Just go do that. And what that ended up being was she was just sending messages to people in her local community and, and groups she was already a part of, and then generating conversations that way. Mm -hmm. It goes back, yeah, it goes back to this idea of do what actually works for you. Yeah. And it can be small. It can be a few things, like one or two things, and build off of that and ignore the rest of the stuff. I love that because we're getting to this place in the workplace where I want to be recognized for being me. Yeah. I don't want to be like everybody else. The best way to do that is to present yourself authentically to an organization because when they pick you, that is showing that they value that individuality. And everyone has their own approach. What worked for me will not necessarily work for the next person. It doesn't mean when Philip and I give career advice, we don't know what we're talking about. We actually do, yeah. but we want you to be you. Let's just acknowledge too that it's terrifying. <laughs> to show up authentically as yourself is the scariest thing in the entire world because you open yourself up to be rejected and to be shown as, uh, this is what happens with myself, to be very transparent, but also with all my clients is they go, oh my gosh, they're going to realize I have no idea what I want to do, or I've been out of work for this long, or I have no idea what I'm going to mm -hmm. do next. And that's okay. Because spoiler alert, most people have no idea what they want to do, including the people who were talking to you and hiring you. <laughs> they have no idea. It's what I often have to tell my clients. And this is something I've actually been working on in the last year myself is being okay, showing up with not having all the answers. Mm -hmm. And being okay with that and then being open to, to asking questions like, hey, I don't fall 100% in line with probably the job you're looking for, but tell me more about that insert thing, like having to work on strategic plans. I don't know. Tell me more about what you're wanting there. And they go, oh, okay. I haven't done anything like exactly that, but I've done things similar to that or this is how it seems like in the past or something. Can I interject here? Yeah. You can't do that on an email or when you submit your application. That mm -hmm. is, you've circled, you're so clever. You've circled right back to, you do have to reach out and have that phone call. And those questions could be part of your connection email, that sort of thing. And I love that. And I agree, it's very hard to put yourself out there. I would say this from my own experience. Like I remember my very first LinkedIn post, it was such a big deal. And I put it out there and terrified. Did I do it wrong? Are people going to make fun of me? Are they going to troll me? And when the day's done, and I don't mean this in a nasty way, but no one cared. It didn't change the world. <laughs> I think five people saw it and they were all my friends. I know. I love that. I love and, that. It's this... And... <laughs> Another person in our learning group talked me through it um, and they point blank said, do, do you think that everybody in the world logs onto LinkedIn and your post is the first <laughs> thing that they see? I'm like, yeah, okay. Now I don't. <laughs> I have to tell it to my clients so much. They are like, I'm going to, I'm going to post these things on LinkedIn or I'm going to, I'm going to change my job title. Or I'm going to be something more active on LinkedIn. And then my employer is going to see that and they're going to be like, Oh my God, they're going to see that I'm, or 
whatever that might be. And I go, yeah, hey, you're not that special. I appreciate it. I'll go like your stuff, but you're not that special. There's another story that I have. I was in a meeting with one of my coaches, Liz, and we were in this meeting and then she stopped me at the end of it. We're like, we're all talking, we're trying to ideate and things. And albeit I'm only halfway there. Like I didn't prepare for the meeting. I slept like crap the night before. I, I was not at my best that day. And I remember Liz at the end of that conversation, she took me aside in, in Zoom world. She took me aside in Zoom world. She's like, hey, Philip, was I, was I interrupting too much in that meeting? Please, you can tell me. And I looked and I was like, Liz, I have no idea. I was thinking about myself the whole time mm -hmm. about how tired I am, about how much I didn't prep, how much all you thought maybe I was an idiot here. And I think that's the thing about the story too, is like most people are thinking about themselves. And I, and yeah. You can put all that stuff to the side and get back to what works for you. I, that is true. I used to do this presentation class where I would teach people how to, the basics of writing a presentation and they were to come in with a presentation and they had to give it in front of the whole class and people got to sign up for where in the batting order they wanted to be. And it was always the extremes of, I want to get it over and done with, or I want to go dead last. And I would tell people, here's the thing. Anyone who hasn't gone yet is doing their presentation in their head while they're pretending to listen to you. And everybody <laughs> who has gone before you is Monday morning quarterbacking their presentation in their head. No one's listening to you but me. And, and people are like, why did you wait till the end of class to tell us that? And I'm like, because <laughs> it wouldn't have changed what you did. That's the best. But I think it's also that comfort zone thing. And it sounds funny, but I think we have to become comfortable with being ourselves. And we're taught, oh, when you go to work, there are certain, yes, there's a civilized way, professional way we all must behave. But I know that I've been told in my career, say whatever you need to say to get the job. And I've ended up in places where I was miserable because I yeah. told them what they wanted to hear. And it wasn't necessarily aligned with me. And I think, how do you, when you work with someone, I wasn't even going to ask you this, but mm. when you're working with someone, how do you get them to find out what you looks like for them? Mm. That's a good question. Let's first acknowledge that's a process. It doesn't happen by just one coaching session. It doesn't happen by any of those things, but how it generally looks for people is we get down into we get into strength work. We're like, okay, what are you really good at? Mm -hmm. And then usually with strengths work, it's often about finding patterns and finding patterns where you've been the most engaged, where you've enjoyed the most and really nailing that down while mm -hmm. coupling that with your top priorities, understanding like what is your, what are your highest priorities in your next, in your next role or in your work moving forward for, we both work with people where they say work-life balance is my number one thing. I want to have good work-life balance. And I'll always challenge people to go, well, hey, what does that mean specifically yeah. for you? Like, what do all those things mean? And then honestly, it's repetition. It's then, if, you're, if anybody is going to take away anything from this conversation, it's go and have a crap ton of conversations. Like, just have a bunch of conversations because we all have an idea of who we are in our heads. And that's what the, those two pieces of priorities and strengths are part of that work from before of defining who I am and what my values are. 
But as you go out in the world and you battle test that, it's often challenged in those things. And it's through conversations with a coach or with your mentor or with other people who you've never met before, because you're having to work these things out and become more comfortable with the person who you already are and who you want to become. And to what we were just talking about, we hide behind these things. We hide behind the person we should be, or we hide behind this quote unquote professional voice, which that was actually where my disagreement was that led to this conversation is. I think we hide behind the professional of like how we think we should do things. And I'm here to say, no, let's not do that anymore. Let's do you. Let's do you well. And yeah, it's going to suck sometimes. And yeah, it's going to be hard sometimes. But guess what? (laughs) There's no other way to do it. And if you're going to get hired, you should get hired for you instead of the person you're pretending to be. Your last point. So 100%. It's the beginning often work of figuring out values and strengths and your priorities coupled with just go out there and just i'm not going to say fake it till you make it because i don't think that's true this is the fake it till you become it or fake it till you accept who you who you are in many ways it's funny that you say that today i sent a message to a former student of mine and when we started working together to find him a job it was like pulling teeth to get him to do anything on social media or linkedin mm-hmm. and I kept asking like, why are you reluctant to do this? And in my head, I'm thinking, you're the generation that lives on your phones. Like what is going on here? And he had a personal Instagram and and everything else, but professionally I could not, and I would go real small, like just my stuff, go ahead and react to my stuff. And it would be this, he, he just never had a good reason. And this week he announced that he and some colleagues have started their own company. Give a shout out to them. And I've seen him post multiple times a day in just this short time period. And I sent him a note saying, okay, it's interesting that you've gone from the person I was begging to post. Now I'm thinking what's going on here, but it's also this practice thing when you're doing it authentically with something that means something to you. And the more you do it, that it becomes easier. I told you how hard it was to do that first post. Now it's like not a big deal anymore. I'm, I've become jaded with posting, but it also helps that now I have a platform. This before it was before I had the book and I had a direction and things like that. Now there's definitely a reason for me to do it. I like that you're saying that. Why don't we talked about doing this for this conversation? Let's jump right into it then. Let's talk about some of the basics of the job search. And if you wouldn't mind, would you be able to share maybe some ideas? I don't want you to give everything away because this is what we both do for a living, but maybe some quick ideas, easy wins that people could maybe do at the different parts of the job search or aspects to remain true to themselves. Let's put it that Mm. way. How's that sound? Sure. Yeah. 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 And I don't mind giving everything away too, because partially back to you it really does it comes back to you but this is the thing i find with job search it's you can know the stuff but then having somebody alongside Mm -hmm. of you to hold you accountable is that's actually where it's at because this stuff is hard so i'm going to tell everyone out there a big secret that's not such a secret coaches have coaches everybody i know who's a coach has a coach for this exact reason and sometimes more than one therapists have therapists 
coaches have coaches. Let's go with one of the most controversial parts of the job search process, the thank you note. Mm. How do I stand out in my thank you note? You can do it a couple ways. And usually the way to stand out in a thank you note is often figuring out ways to stand out in the interview or before the interview too. It's exactly what we're talking about and getting, getting more personal and getting more authentic in many ways. So you're getting more of those personal moments. Like one thing that me and you do before anything we do is we just chit chat and I just chit chat with you. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I do a lot because I love to chit chat. It's like my favorite thing in the entire world, but I get to learn new things about you and you get to learn new things about me that I could then use in a thank you note type of thing. So I'd say Oh, I like it's actually the stuff even before a thing happens is just getting to know that person and, and specific things about that person that aren't just like generic. Yeah, we both talked about Paris and Paris is great. Cool. Yeah, fun. If, you, if that's anything you have, that's better than nothing. So I'd say it starts before the thank you note and getting personable to the person. I think the second thing is, of course, thanking the person, thanking the whole team for such a great experience. I had a client do this. And actually, this is what got her the job. Two, I had two clients do this. One who got a job at Slack and the other one who got a job at CNN. And they sent, I'm going to use the same tool again, this personalized video from Loom. And they gave specific ideas about, hey, I left our conversation and I was jazzed. And actually, I had like three or four ideas after our conversation wow. about this next thing. And we also send the video like, Hey, also, I don't know too much, but these are just my ideas. Mm. And we just put the caveat, like they could be totally off base, but it was more about that. The hiring manager saw how the person, my client at the time was thinking and that this person was even contributing before they got the job. Another way, the high level way of thinking out and in all your interactions, whether it's after the job, before the job or a reach out message is how can you introduce some humanity to it? I advocate for video. I just do better over video and a video message. You could do an audio message. Mm -hmm. You could do something like that. Those are good. And the last piece of advice is this is one that I've seen work. I it's my opinion. It's not working as well as it used to, but I've seen people send physical thank you notes too. And then the question is, how do I find the physical address? And how you do it <laughs> is by going, hey, Sabina, I'm really old school. And I still like to send handwritten thank you notes. If that's okay for, with you, if it's not totally cool, but where is a good address that I can send a physical thank you note to? And then the person will go, here's the address. Or they go, I don't have to do that. Thanks is all enough. But it's just the act of caring that actually matters. Physical thank you notes personalized messages with a video or audio and getting more personable before and during the interviews, then you can have a better standout message. Wow. I love the video idea. And yeah. I'm embarrassed to say I would have never thought about that. Now I'm going to tell people it was my idea. I <laughs> wish I got, I wish I got some royalties from Loom because I use uh, them all the time. I'll, I'll send them a letter and suggest it. Let's go to, there are some things you have to do in today's job search. And one of them is, in most cases, even if you apply on a corporate website, an organization's website, you have to get past their applicant tracking system. So that means your resume has to follow a certain format, use certain words, et cetera. 
but how can I bring myself to my resume, that double-sided piece of paper that summarizes my professional career? How do I bring me to that? Hmm. I love that question. It's the question I get all the time. And I tell people, ultimately, it's an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. It will always fail at that question. It'll, it mm-hmm. will always fail in, in, in telling who the wonderful person Sabina is or the wonderful person that you are in most of the many different ways. So in my estimate, what you have to do is make sure you're getting straight to the point on the top of the, on your top of your resume, make sure you're telling the story more about you and what you've accomplished versus the things like, here's the thing that I, that I was responsible for. And here's the thing I was yeah. responsible and here's the thing I was responsible for and do it more about what you've accomplished and who you are and the specific kinds of things that you, that make you unique as a person, like you're a versatile leader or insert whatever thing mm-hmm. and realize that it's only going to get you so far. It goes back to the idea that I talk about with all my clients is we have to play a different game. And in my opinion, the applicant tracking system and the resume are part of the old game. Now yeah. they're still necessary. Like we still have to go through it. Realize that game's only going to get you so far. And it comes back to those conversations and the reach outs and the other things we're talking about too. But from a resume perspective, make sure it's crystal clear and to the point. It does a good job of t- telling who you are and more of your story that gives people a, a reason to care about you and highlight the things you've accomplished. Not the work that you did on job description, but the things you actually accomplished. Yeah. I like that. Let me ask your opinion on something because this is something I learned from a colleague. And we worked together at a very serious company. I'm not kidding. And she had a very serious role. And I had been part of the group that looked at resumes to help interview. And her resume was on top before I even met this person. And I was told by her boss, who was the functional lead in the company, of what he did. And he point blank said, this person's coming in for an interview. Non-negotiable. And I'm like, okay. And I looked at the resume and I'm like, yeah, they have a great background and it correlates to the job. And then he pointed to something on the, not quite buried on the back, but this person whose resume I was holding had been on America's Ninja Warrior. Oh, cool. They were not applying for a job that had that required anything physical. It was all brain work. It was a law degree. And much later, they ended up hiring her. And she did say that was the first thing they asked her in the interview. And I I said, why did you put this on your resume? And she said, it has never failed to get me an interview. And she could prove that she was on it. There's a YouTube out there. And I took this and I have people in their skills section pick an offbeat describer of them personally and put that in their skills. Like I have somebody who has won awards for jigsaw puzzles. And they have put that in their skill section as like jigsaw puzzle guru in their skill section. And a lot of the people I work with get a good response on that. They say like almost always they're asked. What are your thoughts on something like that? Something attention getting? I would have never thought of that. I'm somewhat jealous to be very honest. That's my first (laughs) thought. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's such a good idea. So jealous. And amazing. You can steal it. Second thought. Oh, I'm definitely <laughs> going to steal that and then claim it as my own. But the third thought is it goes back to this idea that 
you know, maybe if you're out there, maybe you haven't been on America's Ninja Warrior or won a bunch mm -hmm. of awards for jigsaw puzzles or things like that. But there is probably something that you do that is interesting that's a conversation starter or a thing that differentiates you. We go back to this idea of how do we bring humanity back into a quite inhuman process? Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about that is it's, it, start, yeah, it starts conversations. It gets you to go, hey, I, I don't know if she's exactly qualified, but I know that TV show and that seems really cool. I want to talk to her. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes back to this idea of standing out in different ways, whatever is unique to you and just own that. And again, it's terrifying, right? It's also acknowledge, right? Like, why would they care that I have a jigsaw puzzle champion on there? Like, they're going to look at that and think I'm not a serious person because I'm applying for this. So that's my job seeker voice. If I don't mean to insult it. They didn't sound remotely that. like that. I want everyone to know, but. Okay, good. <laughs> That's what I think about. And I go, you know what? Who cares? Just go for it. Because I want this professional, I have this whole shtick, this professional voice of what we should do is also bullcrap. Because again, it shaves off the edges of us as individuals and makes us all the same. And then we all are playing the same game. And I love this idea of just introduce something different, try something different. And that's what's going to get you noticed. And and I'm I'm loving this mission that you have in this idea that you're preaching about of if you're not comfortable with who you are no one else is going to be comfortable either but you also I talked to somebody Monday and we were talking about the book uh, The Courage to be Disliked and... I recently heard about this book <laughs> that I need to get yes maybe you'll come back and you and I'll talk it out but yes. the idea being not everyone's going to like you you have to be okay with who you are and showing up as your best self is one of the ways to make sure that you will be in a work culture and a workplace that accepts you as you are. And I think that's what most of us want. We talked about the resume. We talked about the thank you note. Let's bring up something that is coming up more and more with people now. And I think this is where a lot of individuality can come into play, but it can also hurt you. How you dress. I have this thing in my book where I tell people when I'm a person of action. And I think like when you lose a job, I recommend to people to get an interview kit together mm -hmm. so that when you're ready to interview, you walk in your closet, you've got something that's seasonal, that fits you. You have the socks, the shoes, everything together. I even say put a Starbucks gift card in there so you can get a coffee and $20 oh, wow. so you can... There's a whole story behind it that I can tell you about later. I tell people to do that. And I've had people send me, I think the harshest feedback I've gotten on the book was, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. What am I in the fifth grade or the fourth? Am I in kindergarten where my clothes need to be laid out for me? And then that person is always the first person to write back saying, I got a last minute interview. I am so grateful I did what you asked me to do. And everything was there. And I've had people send me pictures of it. But what I haven't thought about is I've always told people, go on the conservative side when you're interviewing because some things are hard to come back for from, especially if you've dressed not inappropriately for the workplace, but incorrectly. Let me put it that way. What are your thoughts of how much individuality can you express in your clothes, in your in your accessories, in, in that's in your background. Let's say it's all through zoom is how do I, 
correctly put myself out there in these things. I'm challenging you today. I'm so challenging. No, I love that. (laughs) Tend to think about clothes too much. Here's how, here's, so this is my often joke that I'll tell people is I've been working remotely since 2018. And since 2018, I haven't worn shoes most days because you work remotely. You don't see my feet. If I ever go back in the workplace, I'm going to have to wear shoes again. So I'm just screwed. That's my always thinking for myself. If you're in this, in these shoes, pun intended there, and in that space, here's how I think about it is in some ways dress for the job you want, but more importantly is how do you want to come off and how do you want to be coming off mm. to others? And we and you both work remotely. We live in Zoom world. And it's, I think it's also this idea of we live in a world now where you are not just it's not just your clothes appearance, but it's also your background. And it's the box that we live in. The Zoom box is what I call it. So me and you both have very good backgrounds. I've designed mine to have a bookshelf behind me, all of those things. But I think it's, it goes back to this idea of how is your, how is your Zoom set up? Mm-hmm. What's in your background? Is it distracting? Are you getting distracted by other things? I'm moving on beyond just the clothes and yeah. going, think about this from a, from a bigger perspective of, What's your setup look like? And are you giving the appearance of being organized and put together or whatever that is that's going to be incongruent with that organization? By that time, you probably have met people before you've gotten there or you've done enough research on the company to know, okay, these people don't care like if I wear a t-shirt for the first or second round of interviews or Hey, I'm going to be working for a law firm so if we or a bank. We probably know for law firms and banks, you have to have a certain dress and that type of stuff. I think it's very individualized for the person, where they are, and the company or industry they're going into. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. And I, you bring up something. First of all, Philip has a lovely background. So it's very erudite. The books are actually color-coded to uh, be together on the shelf. And I will say this, I've noticed other people in our learning group copying that. Uh, You're quite the trendsetter. Oh, I copied from other people, but thank you. You know what? Let's just say maybe it's like a collective thought that's happened throughout the world that we know and something like that. But I appreciate that. I know we don't share video on the podcast, but if you have a Zoom call with me, my background is a picture of my book cover. And I didn't think anything of it. Usually I have a gray wall and I just put it there because I take, I lug this thing to book signings and speaking engagements and things like that. And I put it behind me because I was wearing gray one day and I'm like, gray on gray doesn't look too good. I have the book behind me and two people at the same time told me it was a power move. And I never thought of it that way. I'm like, I'm just hiding a gray wall, but sure, I'll take that. And it it is a reflection of me and I'm happy to do it. But I think it's that mindfulness of to, to mindfully be yourself, which I don't think a lot of people do. I think you're onto this whole new frame of thought here. Um, it, it's mm-hmm. this idea of, yeah, mindfully being yourself, but I'm finding this trend happening a lot. And I don't know if it's generational or whatever. But I think now as employees heading into the workplace, we have an expectation, good or bad, to be more self-actualized at work and in our workplace. We want to be accepted for who we are. Mm-hmm. 
And again, for better or for worse. And does it happen at every single organization? Yes or no. And I think initially going in and then expecting them to to already accept you and all that stuff isn't actual isn't realistic because then you got to form the relationship over time. But also, if to your point earlier, if if you don't know who that is or if you don't accept it, then it's hard for other people to do that. And it's a journey that happens over time and just getting comfortable with who you are and the person you really want to become. I like that. I like that. Now you've opened the door to something I would like to hit on. I think we could talk about all of these things all day and we're probably going to come back to it in another conversation. But let's say I've successfully been me and stood out in the job search and the interview and my video thank you note. Now I am hired. I start the job. I like that you said you have to start building the relationships. How do I keep this trend of being me while still showing that I can blend in well with the culture? Because I'm on probation when I start. They're they're gonna decide whether or not they want to keep me. What are what is some advice you would give to somebody going into work? I'm back on the job and keep in mind a lot of people listening to this haven't had a first day of work in a very long time. How do I do all that? How do I? If you haven't been back to work in a long time, I worked with a client. He was a high level Silicon Valley executive and he hadn't been back to work in 15 years. And I told him, just acknowledge, and if you're sitting in that shoes, if it's 15 plus years for you, or if it's 15 minus years for you, or whatever that might be, just acknowledge it's a little bit of a learning curve, right? You are heading back into work. And if you've been out of work for a little bit, and you're going into a new environment too, that there's a learning curve there. Let's just first acknowledge that. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself in that it's hard. You're having to meet all new people having to figure out all new systems. You have to figure out where things are or where things are in their virtual world. And also remember a lot of people's names, but then apologize for not remembering their name and then try to figure out, wait, what do they do? Oh, that's right. That's what they do. It's a learning curve. First of all, be very patient with yourself. I think the second thing is make sure you are clear with whoever your hiring manager is or your onboarding person or whatever that is, what's your 30, 60, 90 day plan look like? What is that? What's that process look like? Again, it's a learning curve. You have to ease into it. If you know that you're on track and you know what you're doing, that helps at least get this idea of, okay, I don't have to focus on all these 15 things I know I'm going to be doing later on. I just have to do this and do this and do this. Often in the job search process, in the onboarding process or whatever, as coaches, we spend a lot of time telling you, don't focus on all the 15 million things you have to do and just focus on what you have to do next and next and next. And I think that's the other thing I probably tell people to do is just get a clear idea of what does good look like in the first 30 days and 60 days and 90 days. And then like we were saying, I think the third thing is just conversations. Just try to meet as many people as you can, whether it's in person or on hybrid, take this idea of messaging people and just connecting with them one-on-one. A lot of good organizations do that. They'll introduce people or they'll uh-huh. have, I know my last organization, we had lunches and of course, being me, I was like the head of the, the welcoming <laughs> committee and I was the one who was welcoming people in. And I'm, I'm always that person because I just, I like being that person. I was, we, we had initiatives like that, but the people who always did well were the ones who took it upon themselves to 
meet as many people as they could because mm-hmm. it eases the learning curve who to reach out to in different places. And in most organizations, when more people know you, especially early on or through the days, then you're going to gain more opportunities or gain more trust. Yeah. I, I, I like that. And I really appreciate you saying it's, I think it's hard, especially if you were at a high level at a job or you had a huge tenure at a job before you lost it and you were the goat mm-hmm. to suddenly be the new kid on the block. And I always, I tell this boring story. I took a new job and one of my colleagues had a lot of resentment because she lost two colleagues at the same time and had to basically train two new people and still do her day job. And I went up to her and in very early on in my tenure and said, how do I mail a package to the DC location? Very loudly, she yelled, you don't know how to mail a package. And I felt oh. bad for a few minutes. And then I said, no, I know how to mail a package. I don't know how to do it here. It's very hard when you are the go-to, you are knowledgeable, you have all this background to go to where you you have to learn these silly, innocuous things, or they seem that way. You have to learn a whole new culture. You have to learn where the bathroom is. You have to learn people's quirks. And it is exhausting. Yes. Uh, but to tell people they need to give themselves a break um, and not feel like they don't know how to mail a package. I love that <laughs> that idea too, because it brings it brings up a couple of idea of thoughts for me is there's this podcaster who I like, and that's what he talks about is how he has actually gotten to better questions and how he gets better co- podcast conversations is he just asks, he asks the questions under his head are dumb questions. And I'm in the process of learning how to do triathlons, which I've never done before. And my coaches have coaches. My coach, my stake in the ground I have with him is I just, I ask him dumb questions. I'm like, I was like, I don't know anything. I'm paying you lots of money. I'm just gonna ask you the dumb questions because that's what I'm paying you for in many ways. Yeah. I think it's, again, goes back to this idea that I absolutely love that you said of be okay with asking stupid questions and looking stupid because at the end of the day, I'd rather know it and look stupid versus not know it and get 30, 60, 90 days plus in and go, I have no idea where to mail things. I thought I did. <laughs> now I got now they, in my head, they expect me to know where to mail things. And I should have asked them on my first day and I totally didn't. And I think the person who puts the highest expectation on us for knowing everything is us. I will tell you, writing a book you dare to write a book because I'm declaring myself the expert in this. But then I know unemployment, I didn't know writing and publishing a book. <laughs> and there were many moments where I am like, why am I doing this? The And I tell people the easiest part about writing a book and getting it out there is the actual writing. Mm-hmm. It's everything else because that's not what we know how to do. And giving yourself like, I love how you phrase it of your learning should be you and I are both learning folks. So it should always be like, we should always be learning. Learning should be the most champion thing in the world. And we forget that when we go back to work because we think, oh, we're hired to work. Part of that is learning and development. Huge part. Huge, huge. And I think it's this idea that I always talk about too. I remember when I started working in Happier Career, I was in a job I, I didn't know how to do very many ways. And I had to, the way I said at the time was, 
I have to be okay sucking at things. And I don't think people like to suck at things because we're all humans and we're all adults and you want to take the easy pill and you're like, oh, I just want to be good at this thing in the shortest time as possible. And I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to master it. I'm going to push back to be uncomfortable. And you're going to be like, no, no, it's okay to suck at things. You just got to suck at them for a while and just be uncomfortable with sucking at something, especially when it's new and it's scary. And if this is your first day on a new job and you've been employed for quite some time or even a month, like be okay sucking for a bit. You'll be fine. The world keeps turning. We might have to have t-shirts made that say that, but that would get us in a whole lot of trouble. What you're saying resonates with the learning person in me. I don't know if you're familiar with situational leadership. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, it's this model of how to coach an employee, but there's a, a thing called a learner too, which is when someone realizes what they don't know and all that initial enthusiasm that the first day of work, I used to love doing orientation because it was like the first day of school. People are dressed up. They're on their best behavior. Everything is amazing. And then reality comes in and people realize they don't know how to mail a package and things like that. And that's when you lose people is when they realize they don't know how to do something. And this goes into my next question. This is where hiring managers need to do their job. Like, setting up those one-on-one meetings and the welcome lunch and things like that. There's a purpose to these things, people. It's not just a free meal. And recruiters also have to keep that in mind. I've talked to many recruiters and I tell them, like, there needs to be a special kind of handholding with someone who's been out of work for a while because they're beaten down. So you now have the floor to talk to hiring managers and recruiters. What are some things they can do to make it okay for someone to be themselves, to be, what can they do to make it okay for me to be me or you to be you? Oh man. Yeah. I have also a lot of friends that are recruiters and that's asking a fish not to swim in some ways of, Hey, can you mm-hmm. stop being a recruiter for a little bit? So just if you were on the job seeker side, realize that recruiters are recruiters. Their jobs are to find square pegs for square holes. That's their job. Oh, I like that. that, That's what I I mean. What happens a lot, I find, I don't know if you find this, is people often use recruiters as career coaches. And you're like, no, that's not what they're (laughs) for. They'll go, they told me I'm not going to be good at this. And then I'd ask them what they want to do in things. Recruiters, they, how they, their incentives, again, are to fill slots. Yeah. And the better that you fill the slot or form a relationship enough where you can form other slots with them in the future, that's where you're going to, that's where you're going to go. And if you're on the job seekers side, talking to recruiters, I tell people be as explicit as you can about, I want this, I want that. We had somebody come in our job search group that we were talking about, and that's what he was talking. He's advising our group was to be explicit about your priorities, what you want, salary, are you willing to move all those kinds of things Mm -hmm. on the recruiter side? If I could give any advice on how to help people who are really coming at the coming at this in a very vulnerable spot i think it it is a aspect of just meeting the person where they are and that's a that that's the high level idea and i'll i'll detail it and go through it but it's this idea of just connecting with the person understanding okay it's okay no i i get that you've been out of work but tell me what what you've been doing what were you doing before what are you going? What do you want to go into now? What are you most afraid about going in, or what do you what do you think 
are the biggest concerns employers would have, and let's talk through those. So it turns into a very coaching relationship. And again, that's a little bit harder for some recruiters, but even if you need it from a tactical stamp pieces, if I was a recruiter, I would probably as best you can take out 10 minutes a day or an hour a week and just see the people who are reaching out to you and then strike up conversations with those people. Like, cause we know people are doing that now you can't do that with everybody. So let's acknowledge that. But also we get the people who are going to likely be at the top of your, at the top of your candidate pool in many ways. I think it's, I think this is idea of <laughs> conversations and being okay, having co- uncomfortable conversations with people and helping people navigate the scary job search stuff. As you were speaking, one thing that was running through my head is, this is something I tell a lot of the people I work with, is that it is a two-way conversation. When you Mm -hmm. interview for a job, when you talk to a hiring manager, a recruiter, they're not just reviewing you. They're not just interviewing you. You are also interviewing them. And the company that you're working at and what you're advocating of this come as you and be you, there is almost a responsibility to put yourself out there. And I know it's not easy, but to assert yourself a little bit or show yourself more. And Mm -hmm. I think those questions are a way to do both because you are allowed to ask for certain salaries, certain days off. You're allowed for a certain schedule. They can say no, but you do need to make those needs known. And I think that's where you start to open up the conversation. It starts the first interaction you have with a company. Yeah. That client that I mentioned mm-hmm. who was a Silicon Valley executive out of work for 15 plus years, he, he'd be okay with saying this, but of course I don't give too much personal information, but he had a bad divorce and he suffered with alcohol and drug issues mm-hmm. and he was part of AA and he got it. He eventually got a job, but how he got a job was he connected with one of the hiring managers there mm-hmm. who also had drug and alcohol issues who recovered from them. And it was a great thing because he found the right person who understood where he was coming from. Yeah. And the advice that person gave to my client was, look, you're going to have to explain this 15 years one way or another. So you might as well just be honest mm-hmm. and people are going to appreciate the honesty way more than you making up a story, trying to make yourself sound better when we all know that you're lying. Own it, be okay with it, say what you learn from it and move on. And, and hopefully the person on the other side will be understanding. And they were reinforcing that same idea of terrified. He was terrified to tell people that, terrified. But it was eventually enough conversations led to the right kind of person who was going to understand his story and eventually advocate for him and then give him honestly the advice he needed at the time. Yeah. I I love that. And I agree that transparency is not probably something you want to tell the receptionist when you come in. But I think (laughs) that when someone asks you, you have a pretty big gap here. What accounted for that? And then what you're saying of what did you learn from that experience? What do you bring out of it with you is crucial. But one of the things we're talking about in this episode is, you know, you and I are both on this mission to change how people think about work. And Mm -hmm. it strikes me, I don't know about you, but I've tried to change it from inside work. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is how HR should function. This is how learning should function with very mixed results. 
I'm finding going to the actual employees themselves and saying, this is how you should think about looking at looking for work, looking at work and realizing you're the asset. That's where I'm starting to see the change coming about. I don't know about you. I don't know if that's similar. Yeah, I, I resonate with that. That's where it's happening for me is hopefully we can get enough people who think this way and then put them in leadership roles that then yeah. you can go ahead, cue, roll your eyes and then have the ripple effect <laughs> and then make the world a better place by one person at a time. And I, that's what I actually truly believe because to your point, I, I don't think we're going to go and change like Coca-Cola and have them rethink every everything, <laughs> even yet. though they say that they are and all, yeah, or have them all those things. But I think it, it it's going to be in the individuals and how are we impacting individuals so that they can go help other people? Because I, I would imagine that client that I was telling you about, I imagine he'll go do the same thing for others. And I think that's when I get clients in my, when I get my clients in, in roles and things, that's what they'll often say is, oh, I didn't understand how hard this was, but I understand now when people reach out to me and what's a good response, when that's a good response, they, you just develop this level of empathy. And I think when you are out of work for a long time, you accidentally, it, it, it's what you do to keep yourself safe, I understand. But I think you get this idea that people are going to be less empathetic to you. And I've found the opposite. But you have to be truthful. If you were out of work because you had a bad layoff or if you got burned out or you had to go take care of a sick parent or a grandparent, just telling people like, look, I had a hard job and I had a parent who was sick and I got a parent, my mom, right? She, uh, I got one of those. I got to go help my mom. And I'm sorry, there's a million more jobs out there. In my line of priorities, my mom is above my job, just to let you know. So if I'm if under those things happening and all this stuff and people understand and people are okay with that. And if they're not, don't work for them anyways. That's what I was sitting here thinking is, I'm thinking about that executive you worked with. He didn't have to say why he had that gap and he got a job living every day with this concern that it might come out, I think would be just almost as devastating as being unemployed mm -hmm. and fearful. And if it's all out there, you don't have to worry about that. You have to worry about the thing you should be worrying about at work, your performance, doing a good job at your job, rather than is everyone going to find out about me? I like this idea of and it's not just if you have that 15-year gap, it's being true to yourself. Therefore, you don't have to worry about where you pretend to be something you're not. You don't have to worry about that. It's all out there and not in an awful way. It's just out there in a casual, this is me kind of way. And I love that. I think you and I could talk about this for hours and hours. Yes. But sadly, I feel like I'm going to unfortunately have to call us to an end. Is there anything else you want to add to anyone listening, anybody in the job search, a last tip on being uniquely you, anything to anyone who's maybe dejected or maybe they didn't follow this paradigm and now they're in a workplace where they're covering anything else that you want to end with today? That was a lot. Oh, man. No, you're totally okay because I, I have... I was thinking about this question earlier and I, and I had a lot of, a lot of pieces of advice. I'll mention some of them at a high level, but here's the thing is keep going. If you're listening to this podcast, more than likely you are a hard worker, period. Like, I don't even know you, but I bet you're a hard worker. 
What that often means is it's just a matter of time. You'll get a job someplace. You don't have to worry about that. But what you do have to worry about is getting back into the situation in which you were not in a great job as before. So you have to actually act differently and eventually become more of the person who you are, which maybe is a different person. And just acknowledge that this job search process is an identity change. And that's hard. And it is as physically, emotionally, and spiritually demanding as everything. Know that it's a process. Know that you have to act differently, but act differently in a way that's going to get you closer to who you want to become. And that's also to say that this is work. And I know I'm a career coach. I know we're talking about careers in here. and We're talking about all those things, but this is one aspect of your life. Make sure you invest in other pieces that aren't just work because we're talking about being yourself and being whole people and putting American Ninja Warrior and Jigsaw Puzzle camping at the bottom of your stuff. Make sure you're living a life outside of this job search stuff because it will drive you crazy if this is the only thing you're working on. You got to diversify your identity and other things besides what you do. That's one thing. And then the last thing I would add, again, if you're going to take away anything, if you hit pause, you go, oh, I hate this, Philip, dude. It's just broken record. Conversations. Just talk to people. Have as many conversations as you can. doesn't matter with who because you eventually you'll find the right people to have conversations with. But it's have as many conversations as possible because people are out there and they're willing to help. You just got to be brave enough to ask. Excellent. Thank you so much. Oh, goodness. Philip, thank you for spending some time sharing some great knowledge with the audience. How can people find you? People can find me either on Twitter. I've been tweeting a lot. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just first name, last name. And my Twitter handle is just P Mienko. So Philip and then Mienko. And everyone out. knows how to spell that. <laughs> Sorry. M-I-G-Y-A-N-K-O. I'm sure it's in the title or maybe or in the show notes. It will be, but. Cool. And you can reach out to me or connect with me on there. Send me a DM. I love to help everybody. And me and Sabina were talking right before this. There are some exciting things coming on my end and stay tuned for those things to come. But Twitter or LinkedIn are the best places to find me. Excellent. Thank you. And when those really good things do come to fruition, perhaps you will come back and talk about them. Of course, of course. Okay, love that. And thank you so much for your time today. Anyone listening, keep in mind, as you do this job search, one of the best things that you can do is continue to be you. Thank you. And there you have it for today. I hope you learned something or heard something today that is helping you as you are in your out-of-work journey and that will help you normalize the conversation about being out of work. If you heard something that resonated with you, please show us support, subscribe, like, or comment on something. If you'd like to learn more information, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sabina Sulat. I'm the only one. You can also reach out to me on my website, reworkingworks.com. You can also email me at ssulat at reworking.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to know about private coaching, more about the book, more about the podcast, I wish you luck in your getting back to work journey. 
I hope that you've learned something here that if it hasn't made that journey a little shorter, it's at least made it a little easier. Until next time, thanks for joining.